0: Welcome to Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. I'm your host, Joy Vajabek, here with my co-host, Mark Renahan. How are you doing today, Joy? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Excellent. And today is the third in our four-part series, focusing on Cuba from the 1950s to the present. And we have with us a special guest, Jim Goldman, retired ICE director. And Jim's going to talk to us a little about Cuba and the Alien Gonzalez story.
1: Yes, and you can support us by following us on Facebook. You can follow us on YouTube and Rumble, and you can donate to us at www.ascf.us. And of course, we are on Podbean and all podcasting scenarios. So today we are going with part three of our Cuba series. Our first two guests were incredible doctors and authors both Cubans who immigrated here to the United States after the crisis that happened there. But today we have with us a former special agent with the INS and then the director of the Miami Ice Field. He is currently a private investigator here in southern Florida, Mr. Jim Goldman. Jim, how are you? I'm great, uh,
2: Mark and Joy. Good afternoon. Good, Good afternoon. And Thank you. for.
1: We, we had a little technical difficulty, we so did. we're on take two here. But, uh, Jim, we wanted to get right into it. Um, I wanted to discuss with you basically a quick bio of yourself. I know that you uh, were born and raised in Boston, and uh, I think you served in the Air Force, and then you got involved with the INS. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. Um, I was accepted for a position with the INS back in 1978 when I entered on duty into the United States Border Patrol and I served in the Chula Vista sector of the U.S. Border Patrol. And at some point throughout my career, I gravitated toward our investigations division and was subsequently transferred uh, to various cities throughout the United States to include New York and Boston and Washington, D.C., and ultimately ended up as uh, the head of investigations in Miami, to which that position evolved into a newly formed agency known as ice and i was then uh, at some point retired in the, in the mid 2000s and i've been working as a private investigator ever since
1: all right so jim when we had our other guests on um and we were talking about cuba it was obviously from a perspective of a cuban uh and i know that you are obviously a absolute expert in immigration of course as you were with the ins i know i think you worked in california at one point even as a border patrol agent And now, of course, as you're retired as a PI, I know you have a group of guys you work with, all of who are uh, law enforcement's um, absolute all-stars from what I was reading. But Mm -hmm. I was just curious about your take. I know we talked offline a little bit about Cuba and the immigration issues that came with it.
2: Well, you know, Cuba has always been somewhat of an anomaly um, in terms of immigration law enforcement. Uh, there There are policies, there have been Policies and protocols, and certainly laws, that apply only to to Cubans in regard to immigration law enforcement. Um, you know the close proximity between the geographical United States, specifically Florida, and the island of Cuba. It, 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 it's a small, you know, ninety mile run, and uh, it certainly inspires a lot of maritime smuggling. Um, there's no there's no secret about the fact that. Cubans do come here unlawfully. They're smuggled by smugglers, which really is a cottage industry. Very, there are a lot of people uh, in the Miami metropolitan area that are actively engaged in what we used to call alien smuggling. Now they call it human trafficking. Um, but I'll continue to refer to it as alien smuggling, uh, where people are paying money to be put into boats that are unsafe or some type of watercraft that are unsafe. Uh, to make that treacherous run to hit the mainland. Um, during the wet foot, dry foot policy, uh, once you touched foot on continental United States, uh, you were basically untouchable by uh, immigration law enforcement. and You were on the fast track uh, through the Cuban Readjustment Act to becoming a permanent resident and at some point a United States citizen. Uh, that only applied to Cuban citizens. This did not apply to any other uh, nationality being smuggled in or entering the United States unlawfully. Um, Very seldom were Cubans ever removed from the United States, going back to um, the Mario Boatlift. Even Cubans that had uh, criminal convictions, people that we classified as aggravated felons or criminal aliens, uh, people that were convicted of serious crimes— very seldom were ever removed back to Cuba. So as opposed to other countries, say, in the Caribbean, Haiti, or Jamaica, uh, all of those people, when they enter this country illegally or they're convicted of crimes in this country that make them deportable, it's a much different treatment. They get removed. They get detained. They get held. Cubans never did. So it's a tremendous inspiration to come here and uh, in doing so. You take tremendous risk, and the Alien Gonzalez disaster, uh, losing his mother and so forth, is a perfect example of just how dangerous maritime smuggling can be.
0: No, I'm sorry. I was going to actually ask you what your take was on the Alien Gonzalez story, and as you were involved
2: in this. Well, you know, first of all, it, it began. Um, as uh, as I pointed out as a maritime smuggling event Ilion you know, and his mother and others uh, at some point boarded um, some type of seagoing vessel and uh, the vessel didn't quite make it and uh, as the story goes Elian you know was found floating in an inner tube and his mother drowned during the disaster so, uh, there's a typical example of a of a Cuban maritime alien smuggling event that turned into tragedy. Okay, mm-hmm. so now you have a child, six years old at the time, who you know is then brought to shore for obvious safety reasons, for medical treatment, and so forth, and was then turned over to uh, you know the closest family relatives they could find in the Miami area. And that's what sparked the whole event that, you know, led up months later to what we think of as a kind of a dramatic rescue and recovery effort. Because, you know, all all diplomatic efforts and all discussions and all meetings and all high-level people attempting to make decisions failed. So it fell in the lap of American law enforcement. And, you know, we had no choice but to put together a rescue and recovery operation and obtain a search warrant. We
0: did. Okay, I ask you something? So, from your previous, what you were talking about, the law that they set foot on American soil, Cubans, they are basically, they don't have to leave, they can stay. So, would that have applied to Alien Gonzalez?
2: Well, certainly Alien Gonzalez, uh, you know, as a six year old child, uh, is not capable uh, nor is it recognized under the eyes of the law of being able to make up his own decisions okay? in the case of Ilian Gonzalez uh, he had a living biological father mm-hmm. uh, as we know mm-hmm. who came to the United States as a guest of the United States in an effort to reclaim his child and bring his child back to to Cuba um, if the Gonzalez's wanted to have stayed in the United States they could have they opted not to oh. okay uh, mr. Gonzalez made those decisions for his six-year-old child
0: okay. understandable yeah
2: and to my understanding they, they've lived in Cuba ever since and I don't know so, any so Jim
1: to, wasn't there yeah. though I mean and again I, I I'm not gonna lie to you I recall it a hundred percent I remember when I was younger you know seeing it in the news but unfortunately at that age the news was not my concern Um right. Uh, so did you know preparing for this I know that this was an incredibly I guess delicate difficult intense situation amongst the Cuban community Mm -hmm. uh, law enforcement uh, the American community I know Fidel Castro who of course is not exactly the favorite of many Americans uh, got involved Uh, how difficult did that make your job in just you know from a law enforcement perspective where you know I, I know you had a job to do you have to do it but with all of the outside influences, some of which you may know of, some of which you may not have. Did it make this an absolutely uh, more difficult than usual situation?
2: Well, there's no question that this was a challenge. Um, I mean, this child was in, in, in the custody of uh, her distant relatives, uh, Miami residents that lived in the Cuban community of Miami. And the entire uh, city of Miami, particularly the Cuban community, enveloped this family in Elian, and basically, uh, you know, put up a crow's colony around uh, the area that they lived in, so that at every given moment, no matter what happened, uh, there was like a constant flow of communication getting back to the family as to whether or not law enforcement was in the area or surveillances were being conducted, they were bound and determined to protect that child so that that child would not be returned to his father, nor would that child ever go back to Cuba. Well, many people disagreed with that concept, that it really wasn't up to these distant family members that that decision is a decision that should be made by the father. So the U.S. government uh, accommodated the father to come here. Uh, He was preceded by visits by both of the grandparents, the paternal and the maternal grandmothers, who came and visited with their son. And there was a big diplomatic effort to, you know, accommodate the needs of the father and pacify the distant relatives in the Cuban community here in Miami. But nobody ever agreed to anything, and at some point, uh, the the burden of responsibility to this whole matter fell on the shoulder of law enforcement. And we took direct uh, orders from General Reno, the attorney general at the time, Mm -hmm. and we then set forward to put together an operational plan to rescue and recover Elian Gonzalez from that family, who, in the eyes of the law, were holding him unlawfully, and our mission was to rescue, recover him safely, and bring him to the custody of his father, who was waiting for him in Washington D.C. Now, this 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 battle plan that we put together this this took weeks to put together, and there was training associated with it, and we utilized in probably excess of about 250 law enforcement officers from around uh, the country that we brought in and gave specific assignments to in an effort to successfully execute this warrant. And in fact, we did, as as history will record.
1: Well, I I can't help but think, not to interrupt you, but um, so just to kind of for the viewers at home, one of the main reason, I guess, why the Cuban community we haven't brought this up yet. Did not want Elian returned is, of course, because Fidel Castro mm-hmm. and the communists are in charge of Cuba. And, you know, those that have escaped there or who, who has suffered his persecution were basically saying... I mean, the argument was, I guess, on one side, you can't send them back there. It's, the, you know, the commies are there. And the other side, well, it's his dad his father, is there. Yeah. And, you know, you guys are put in the middle of it. And I don't know if you can talk about this, Jim, or you even know. Sure. But did, did Fidel Castro or the Cubans in any way... Um, you know, have a role in this. Like, after Elion was separated from, and I, I, I'm i not going to lie to you, Jim, in the last two days, I did a, a little Elian Gonzalez, uh, you know, cliff notes version. So I'm not, I'm no expert at this. But after he was, you know, you guys got him, the raid was over. He's then, where does he go from there?
2: Well, uh, for, for first and foremost, okay, um, I've always said, and I will always stand behind the comment that, it really is up to the father. The child was six years old. He has a biological father that loved him dearly and wanted his son. I think that trumps pretty much everything. Uh, what the Cuban community wanted, what the distant relatives wanted, um, what anybody wanted. Uh, the most important thing was that the father was entitled to have his son back. I would want my son back under oh. those circumstances. Um, having said that, after this thing percolated to the point that it did um, I mean, it really became quite a circus you were talking about thousands of people that were present uh, in and around the, the property where the child was being held um, guard forces and co-opting you know uh, municipal employees to you know it was really a challenge so operationally speaking yes it was a challenge okay Did we succeed? Uh, Yes, we did. Uh, We took that child. uh, We executed a federal search warrant. Um, We had to fight through hordes of rioters. Yes, there was a deployment of chemical sprays. And yes, there was some level of uh, violence in an effort to get that child out of the house. I mean, they wouldn't open the doors. while uh, hundreds and thousands of people were rioting outside. We had to breach the doors and everything else. Uh, We took that child, uh, as our operational plan described, um, to a a helicopter pad uh, not far from the site where we had helicopters set up and we boarded the helicopters with the child and we flew into Homestead Air Force Base via chopper. We put him through a triage to make sure he was okay and was physically fit. And um, after the medical exam, we put him on a Learjet and we flew him directly by Learjet from Homestead Air Force Base to Washington, D.C., where we were met by the Attorney General and others and we handed him over. I personally handed him over to his father, where they had their reunion and I've been asked a million times, uh, how did that reunion go? Well, I can tell you that the father came onto the Learjet, he embraced his child, they both broke down into tears, uh, they wouldn't let each other go, and um, so nobody could ever convince me that that was staged by anybody's government, uh, it was a for real reunion.
1: And has, has there been people who have claimed it was staged?
2: Well, I think there's been uh, a million and one theories associated with this case. Uh, And there's all kind of, uh, you know, uh, things that probably didn't get generated out into the public. A a great example of that for, you know, Cuban intelligence officers were mixed uh, into some of the crowds, um, particularly when the grandmothers came into Miami Airport. There were Cuban intelligence officers that were in that crowd when the grandparents showed up. And um, in reality, uh, we actually had one of our high-level INS employees by the name of Mariano Fayette, who was actually co-opted by Cuban intelligence during the Elian Gonzalez during this whole process, was actually co-opted, recruited by Cuban intelligence, and we, Mm -hmm. along with the FBI, arrested and convicted him of espionage, okay? And he was being handled by the very Cuban intelligence officers that, you know, were interacting in the Elian Gonzalez crowds. So there's all kind of uh, twists and turns to the Elian Gonzalez saga, okay? Okay. I
0: guess that answers kind of the question I was going to propose as speculation, but do you think the Miami community were seeing this as, yes, I totally believe you that um, the father wanted his son back, absolutely, but do you think the community in Miami saw it more as Castro's behind this, trying to pull them both back home?
2: I, You know, I, I that's a top one. I mean, I don't know what he was behind. Um, <laughs> He would have had to have sent Mr. Gonzalez and Yulian Gonzalez to acting school mm. uh, for their performance on that Learjet when we handed the child over to his father. Um, I, I don't know that any of them had any training in, in being actors. <clears throat> I, I, I personally truly believe that the father wanted his son back and that the son was frightened and wanted his father, which... Mm -hmm. natural at six years old geez he just lost his mother in a tragedy and uh, he was living with relatives that he didn't know he was being sheltered um you know uh, like the hope diamond you couldn't nobody could (laughs) see him even during surveillance efforts you know during the last week he never he never surfaced we had concern that maybe he was secreted. you know secretly taken out of the house or hidden. We we were concerned about his welfare at some point. I don't believe that these people were really qualified to, you know, put the umbrella over him that they were doing, particularly when there were known criminals in their, in their inner circle. Mm. There were people that were armed in their inner circle. I just didn't, I never felt as though it was a safe environment for a six-year-old child. And I can say that as a parent... And as an agent. Okay, thank you.
1: I would just point out that if um, I was ever abandoned in a foreign land and they called my father, he'd probably say, "Why don't you hold him for a couple of years? I'll get back to I'll get back to you, and we'll see how things are going. And then you know,
0: perhaps
1: perhaps then we can fly him back, but not on a Learjet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, anyway, Jim. So I have another question. I was I, I don't know if you got. I mean, obviously, I know that you were in a a working mode the entire time. Did you get to know um, either the father or Elion himself? Have you had any contact with either of them over the years? Where is Elion today, uh, I guess? If you well,
2: I, I did get to know uh, Elion, obviously. Um, you know, I, I was at the door when we executed the warrant. I executed the warrant. My agents, uh, the men and women of the INS, I mean, they did everything according to plan. Our, our Border Patrol Division. Vortec teams, our breaching teams, everybody did all the right things. So from that moment, yes, I got to know Alien. I, you know, we transported him by vehicle to the waiting helicopters. I boarded the helicopters with him. I boarded the Lear jets with him. I stayed with him in D.C. for a period of time. Um, and then, you know, the events took their course and, you know, he stayed under the protection of the INS in Washington D.C. with his father, while the father made the decision to go back to Cuba, it was the father's decision. Um, so he and the child eventually went back to, to, to Cuba. Um, you know, I, in my governmental capacity, it's not like you know I could have any real emotional connectivity to you know participants in a situation like this. We acted professionally. We executed a warrant.
1: Um, that's actually a question I have was um, was the father told like you and Elian can stay in the U.S. if you like and would have Castro have allowed that or was that
2: well I first of all I, Castro would not have had any say over that uh, uh, it's my understanding now now, now we're entering into you know a non-law enforcement realm I, I'm out of the picture at this point and people in Washington, D.C. are making decisions, the attorney general and the commissioner of the INS, Doris Meisner. Everybody, you know, is making these grand decisions. And, uh, you know, the decision was made based upon Mr. Gonzalez's request. They wanted to go home. My understanding was very clear at the time that had they wanted to stay in the United States, they could have. Don't forget, wet foot, dry foot policy, Cuban Readjustment Act. They would have been more than entitled to have stayed in the United States. They opted not to, okay? They went back to Cuba. Um, You know, alien is, uh, my math is correct, he's like 28 years old now. He's actually, uh, you know, uh, to my knowledge, he's never attempted to, you know, enter the country illegally to come back here and live here. Now, a couple of years back, um, we did have some connection because they, uh, the Gonzaleses were going to come to the United States for a visit, and uh, we were. I was interviewed by some news outlets, and I had said, "Geez, you know, if they do come to the U.S., you know, I'd be more than happy to meet with them. I would love to see Elian as an adult, and see his father again, etc." That never materialized. So, to my knowledge, he's never been back since he left.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah,
2: it is interesting. All right.
1: Well, Jim, let's fast forward to today. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, right now, um, there are some protests in Cuba, but also immigration is a kind of a challenge. Um, I know you're out of the the immigration game, and you're now working as a, a private eye. But what what is your take now on on the uh, I guess the difficulties facing the the agents that are working on immigration? Is is it the same from when you were doing it, or do you think it's harder or
2: well, I, you, know, you know, when you say an expert in immigration, I mean, uh, immigration changes like every 24 hours. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, the laws change, the policies change, the protocols change. Um, you know, the Border Patrol Station I started in in 1978 in San Diego in the Chula Vista sector it was the Campo Station. I think there were like 25 agents there, and 24-7 we covered about 125 miles of U.S.-Mexican border on patrol. You'd be lucky if you had two guys on a shift. Um, I think that same station today has like 600 agents, okay? And half the area of responsibility. So I, I don't know if that means they're making more apprehensions or they're uh, preventing apprehensions. Um, I It's really hard to say. But it doesn't appear like anybody's getting detained. Um, There was some, at least in my day, particularly, say, for example, in the investigations division, there was some clarity. Um, Alien smugglers were being prosecuted. People that were involved in document vending were being prosecuted. Aliens in possession of firearms were being prosecuted. Aliens convicted of serious felonies were being mandatorily detained and then removed from the United States. People were being detained. My understanding is now, uh, when these smuggling smuggling load comes in, that you know the aliens may or may not be uh, witnesses against the smugglers at some point. But they're usually after a short period of time, they're released from uh, ICE custody and they're you know given notices to report to an immigration judge at some point. But they're just basically released into the street. I really don't know who's being detained. I don't, it's hard to even determine who's being detained on the border. I think a couple of thousand people showed up in Del Rio. Um, I, I, I don't believe that they're all being detained. Um, where do you detain that many people? Mm. Um, probably all in the United States. I, 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 think it's really kind of an unfortunate, but I think it's kind of safe to say that, you know, the United States has, has lost some wars and, uh, I think one of the biggest wars they've really lost is the war on illegal immigration. Uh, I think it's gotten a little out of control.
0: Hey, Jim, is the uh, dry foot law still in effect for the Cubans? Excuse me? The drive, I'm saying that correctly. Wet, so foot
2: dry yeah, foot. wet foot, dry foot.
0: Wet foot, no, dry foot. My
2: no, under, my understanding is, is that during the Obama administration, they did away with the wet foot, dry foot okay. uh, provision, but the The Cuban Readjustment Act is still in in the process. This enables, uh, you know, uh, if a Cuban national enters a country unlawfully, um, you know, he's he's not automatically allowed to stay here because of the wet foot, dry foot policy. But, you know, they're not going to detain him because he's an entry without inspection, presumably a non-criminal. Uh, they're not going to detain him. They're going to release him on his own recognizance with a hearing, to, you know, a notice to appear before an immigration court or something. But then they just file uh, under the Cuban Readjustment Act, and they're on the fast lane to becoming permanent residents. It, it, it's an exception. They, uh, an illegal alien entering the country from Cuba has it better than anybody. Okay, mm-hmm. that doesn't apply to Haitians, that doesn't apply to Jamaicans or Mexicans or people from Central America. You know, they can apply for political asylum if they want, mm-hmm. but it's not automatic. Uh, the Cuban Readjustment Act is pretty much automatic. I didn't know that. That's I didn't
0: either. And, and you think, is that, is that, in your opinion, I guess is that due to the communist regime in Cuba?
2: Well, you know, this is like the last theater in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, one minute American citizens can't go to Cuba, the next minute they can come to Cuba. Uh, You know, you have to get special permission. You can only go if it pertains to education or church or, you know, uh, know, there's all kind of provisions that allow for American citizens to go to Cuba. Of course, every American citizen that ever wanted to go to Cuba goes. They either go through the Bahamas or they say they're going to some religious you know, exploration or something. So people go. I mean, people are spending money, and I don't think I have a friend that hasn't been to Cuba. Uh, everybody goes to Cuba, but you're not allowed to. But everybody does, okay? Um, because there's a million and one ways to circumvent, you know, the provision that says you can't go to Cuba. Um, I, I, you know, I, everybody has their own opinion. Is, is, you know, a number of different opinions of what they should do about this. Uh, they don't want trade. You know, the Cuban community doesn't want trade with Cuba. And as a result of it, they, you know, the Cuban community suffers in Cuba. Uh, then they come here at great peril to themselves, uh, and that supports this cottage industry of maritime alien smiling. Uh, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's like the drug industry. The only difference is when you get caught with cocaine, it's a serious offense. Uh, when you get caught with a boatload of Cuban illegal aliens, it's really all not that serious because you're going to prosecute someone for smuggling, but the contraband is fine. The the aliens can stay here. They're going to get green cards. You follow me? It kind of defies logic. Mm. I mean, what Cuban wouldn't want to risk coming here because he's automatically going to be allowed to stay and what alien smuggler wouldn't want to smuggle Cubans because the prosecutorial appeal is so minimal, uh, unless, of course, you know, there's a death or some, you know, other circumstance associated with it where, you know, the penalties get a little higher. But you're basically smuggling a contraband that eventually becomes legal. It just, it, it really does defy logic.
1: Interesting. I I, I didn't know any of this. Well, Jim, we're coming to the end of our half hour, but I can't let you go without, of course, mentioning what you do now, as, of course, we love to give a plug to our guests. So for those of you who are listening, uh, James, who goes by Jim, James D. Goldman & Associates, they are a licensed full-service private investigation agency. They're in western Florida. They have an, an incredible team, uh, former law enforcement. You have to go to the website, which is www.jamesdgoldman.com. Take a look at the bios of his staff, and I assure you any private investigative services you need will be met to the fullest. You can give James a call, and I can't believe I already lost the number, but we're going to post it, at 954 954- or you can send them an email at MiamiJDG at AOL.com. Once again, Jim was gracious enough to join us today. He is a former INS agent, who then became the head of the Miami ICE office and led the raid on Ilian Gonzalez's house, which, of course, was a very controversial subject at the time uh, in relation to Cuba. So, Jim, I want to thank you so, so much. I'll definitely talk to you offline about some of the stuff we chatted about earlier, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show.
0: Yes, thank you, Jim, and thank you for your service.
2: It was my trouble, Mark and Joy, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you both again. Absolutely,
1: and I I, I hope you get up to Boston soon for some lovely chowder, Jim. (laughs) I miss that clam chowder. I tell you, it's delicious. Well, Joy, you want to take us out?
0: Yes, I will. Thank you to our listeners. And if you missed any of this podcast or our previous ones on Cuba or others, you can always go to YouTube or Rumble, type in American Security Council Foundation. Please subscribe to our channel and comment. You can also go to our website at www.ascf.us. Thank you again for joining us, Joyce again next time as we bring you the stories on protecting our freedoms.
1: Thanks a lot, Jim. Bye yes, now. Jim. Take it easy, brother. Bye.